invite you now to join with me in talking to God. Our Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, creator of the universe and sustainer of our lives, we ask that today you put your power on display. And we know that that is asking a lot, because we know from your word that times when you put your power on display, people were terrified. But we're willing to take that risk today, as we look around the world and see all kinds of things that claim to be power, that oppress people put people in jeopardy, that use people. So we need a display of your power. Father, as we read today from your word, this, what feels like such an ultimate story, we pray that even as we hear your word, that your power may be put on display among us with each other as we gather here together in the name of Jesus here on this edge of the new creation. We come before you, we sit, we stand, we sing, we gather together in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of these days, Death will be a temporary setback. Hunger and thirst will soon be forgotten and not even remembered. And we will go into eternity having no memory of what it ever felt like to shed a tear. Someone asks, do you remember what it was like to cry? And can you imagine in total, genuine, authentic reply, what are you talking about? In this story, there are tears. And there are the drying of tears. In this story, there is death. And there is resurrection. And I'm not even talking about Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Jesus. I'm talking about your story. I'm talking about our story today. In this story, there are your tears. And there are the drying of our tears. And in this story, this story is our resurrection given by Jesus the giver of life and all of it has to do with what we read back in John 11 now a man named Lazarus was sick 
He was from Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, Short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, I'm going there to wake him up. Pause. Are you asleep? What does Jesus need to wake you up from? Maybe a little too at home in the world? Too worried about the things of this life? Too bitter? Has your heart grown hard? Have you let your joy die? See, we're barely into the story, and I'm already thinking that one of the things that we may need to hear today is that Jesus can resurrect that too. Not even talking about a dead guy, which I mean, this story is about to get really impressive, don't get me wrong. But if Jesus can resurrect a dead man, you don't think that maybe he can resurrect things like our faith and our joy and our hope? You ever, you ever felt like your joy and hope Maybe even your faith has just been downright assassinated by the world sometimes. Jesus is able to resurrect that too. I mean, we're not even to the best part of the story and we're already shouting good news. I don't know about you, but this day, that's awfully good news. So after he'd said this, let me read this verse again. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. <laughs> I love these guys. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Who's one of the disciples who thought the wrong thing? The guy who's writing the story. Isn't this beautiful? He's looking back on his own story and saying, yeah, I didn't get it either. So, sometimes if you don't get it, if I don't get it, if we don't get it together, it's okay. 
God's awfully patient with us, just like Jesus was patient with these guys. <laughs> and it gets better. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go that we may die with him. Oh, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. Uh, he's always the friend who seems to be saying the wrong thing. You know, I mean, we're, we're kind of used to this language, if you've heard this story before, but Thomas goes, yeah, let's go die with him. And the disciples, at least, you know, maybe a handful of them, I can't help but picture, they're walking along and Thomas says, yeah, let's go die with him. And they're like, are you crazy? Don't say that. Thomas was the kid in the back of the class when the bell was about to ring who raised his hand and asked, teacher, do we have any homework tonight? Don't say that. Don't ask that question. Uh, let's go die with him. What? Don't say something like that. But it gives me hope that he's counted among the followers of Jesus. I mean, John, the beloved disciple, he's counted among the, the disciples of Jesus. Judas, we all know where that story is going. He's counted among the disciples of Jesus, but so is Thomas, who says things that, you know, and, and you know, we've, we've been in groups of people where someone will say something, and you're like, where'd that come from? You know, sometimes... If you ever been in, in conversation at church, sometimes somebody will say something in a small group setting, and you're like, what does that have to do with anything? But that's actually, according to stories like this, it's okay, and it's actually good. Because when I say the wrong thing, I'm counted among the followers of Jesus among the people of Jesus who bear witness to the resurrection and the life. It gives the rest of us some hope that you can say the wrong thing and still be close to the heart of Jesus. You ever said the wrong thing? I mean, all you got to do is say a few things and eventually you're going to say the wrong thing. And then it keeps going on his arrival. Jesus had found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And you know the significance of that, right? This guy's dead. Bethany was less than two miles away from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't know about you, but when she says that, what I want to know is, what was the relationship of Martha and Mary and Lazarus before we get to this day? What had she seen that drove her to that level of confidence that if he had just been there, 
she wouldn't have died, or he wouldn't have died. What gave her that amount of confidence? I don't know. But if she had it, you can have it too. This is what it means to bear witness to a truth. And that's what we're doing today. And it keeps going. She says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And we as the readers hear her say that and you know what we're supposed to say, right? I'm liking the sound of this. I like where this story is going. You ever been listening to a story or watching a movie and you're like, I don't like where this is going. Because you can kind of feel something bad is about to happen. Music gets heavy. You know, the light starts to dim. You're like, I don't like where this is going. There's a flip side to that. You ever been reading a book, listening to a story, watching a movie, and you're like, oh, I like where this is going. Good news is, is that at the climax of the story, in chapter 11, you're getting the feeling already, I like where this is going. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise Again, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. You know what that sounds like to me? Someone who's afraid to just go all in with hope. Cautious optimism, you've heard that phrase, right? She's cautiously optimistic. She's, she's afraid to just let herself go all in. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I like to imagine Jesus isn't talking to Martha. What if you are there at Bethany on this day? Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back, called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. I must have missed that in the story. She's calling, saying, come on. Come see for yourself. Mary heard this. She got up quickly, went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been in with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? That was a lot to take.
So we mentioned this blind man and his sight. And at that moment, the, the whole story just kind of brings everything in 8, 9, 10, and 11 together. Look at your order of worship. What's this sermon called? New Life. What was last week called? Pop quiz, right? New Shepherd. And the week before that, New Sight. That's the blind man's story. The week before that, New Light. Light. Life. Sight. All this is coming together. And all of it is pointing to the question that these people are asking, and it's the question that we still ask to this day. Is this real? Is this Jesus that we keep talking about Sunday after Sunday? Really the one? Really able to do this? Really able? Not just to bring you back to life, but to keep your joy from just gasping for air. But the mention of the blind man is also a reminder that Jesus healed the blind man on the Sabbath. That Jesus was doing things that were different than what the people had expected. And I'm wondering if John is suggesting that the people had come so far that they had started to believe that caring for people and healing people and even resurrecting people from the dead was more important than making sure that they kept the Sabbath just right. And there are people sitting on the outskirts of all these stories at these moments. I know there are, and I don't know. Maybe I'm one of those people. I want to think that I'm Mary, Martha, maybe even Lazarus, maybe the people who are close in, but I don't know. Some days I'm sitting on the outskirts of these stories, and I'm kind of saying, yeah, but I grew up observing the Sabbath. It's all I know. It's all I know how to do. I know that you keep talking about all this new creation stuff, but I kind of like old creation. It's familiar. It's comfortable. I know what to expect. It's predictable. I don't like all this new creation stuff where blind people all of a sudden have sight. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what to make of all this. I like old creation. It's like an old pair of shoes that I'm just not yet willing to donate to Goodwill because I want to wear them one more time. Just one more time. Just, just let me wear them on this one trip, one vacation. And then Jesus just keeps healing people. And then the life of Jesus keeps putting people before the law. And I realize I can't ignore that. I can't ignore that Jesus seems to give preference to people. Above everything else, he gives preference to people. And if you're not convinced, the big one, about to happen. 
Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, um, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in the tomb for four days. I love one translation of this exchange said that Lazarus stinketh. <laughs> if you've ever had a varsity athlete in your house, you know stinketh. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The story is so human and so divine, all at the same time. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Marshall Keeble, preacher, used to say that Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, because if he had just said, come out, they would have been flooded with dead people, walking the streets. So Lazarus, come out. Lazarus P. Smith, you come out. Because he only wanted one of them to come out. So he comes out. And that's, what the, that's actually the next line in the story. The dead man came out. Did you hear that? The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off his grave clothes and let him go. This is the story of Jesus. The story of Lazarus and our story as well. We don't know what happens next to Lazarus. And we don't know what happens next to us. But of this we can have faith together. That the Jesus of this story is the same one who somehow works in our lives when we cannot fathom even an ounce of understanding. So, keep the faith. Keep the faith that Jesus offers new life and only asks that we don't give up hope outside the tomb. Because, I don't know, maybe you are inside the tomb today. Maybe parts of you are inside the tomb. Maybe you're just standing right out on the edge of the tomb. Whatever it is, Jesus 
can still breathe life into the tepid shrugs of our own exhaustion. Jesus can resurrect the faith of people like you and me who get too tied to a world that does not care about you beyond your ability to purchase and consume. I'm going to tell you the truth. The world does not care about you. You know why? Because it's a world, and it keeps acting like a world. And most of the time, worlds are in the business of doing nothing more than preserving themselves. We don't live in that kind of world. Well, we do. But when we tell this story, we realize that, wait, this world is getting bigger. And you know what the Bible calls it? This world that we're living in today, in this moment, in this church, right now, it's called the new creation. Jesus cares not to use you, not to take advantage of you, just you. Jesus cares about you. When's the last time you heard somebody tell you that? Jesus cares about you. Now, I want you to put yourself back at the tomb for a second with Mary and Martha and Lazarus who stinketh. Put yourself right there for a moment. And listen to me say this one more time. Jesus cares about you. So you're picturing yourself standing outside. You remember what Jesus asked one of the sisters? He asked, do you believe this? I'll say it one more time. Jesus cares about you. Do you believe this? I mean, I'm not even talking about resurrection and healing blind people at this point. I think it would be pretty good just to say, I actually believe that Jesus cares about me. And he does. Jesus cares about you. And to this day is still the giver of life. Real life. New life. No hunger. No thirst. No tears. Take heart. For Jesus on this very day is ushering in the new creation. Take heart, for Jesus is still overcoming the world. Not the temporary world, but this world without end. Amen.